But first to suggestions of shifting sands in US politics, or is this wishful thinking regarding Donald Trump's future? A serious new Republican competitor appears to be emerging for the Republican choice for president, former South Carolina Governor Nikki Haley. As of Tuesday, she has the favour and economic backing of influential right-wing fossil fuel billionaire Charles Koch, Koch through his political group Americans for Prosperity Action, one of, if not the most, of influential political donors in the US. Plus, other key men, J.P. Morgan's influential chief Jamie Dimon and longtime never-Trump Republican Robert Kagan have weighed in strongly this week, trying to influence the course of events ahead of the primaries in January, especially the Iowa caucus. I shall test the weight of all this with New York Times reporter Jonathan Swan, who focuses on Republicans in his award-winning US political coverage. Welcome back to Saturday Extra, Jonathan. Thanks for having me. Uh, Just before we get into some of the granular detail, how do you rate the importance of these various developments? Well, look, Donald Trump, just to sort of set the table a little bit, he is the most dominant front runner in a Republican primary that we've seen in the modern era. Uh, He's almost not like a a primary candidate. he He should be viewed almost like he's running as an incumbent president. That's how how dominant he's been. Um, he's leading, depending which national poll you look at, you know, 40 points plus. Um, he's leading in the early states by 20 points plus. So the lead is enormous. Um, until probably three months ago, uh, largely conventional wisdom was that uh, it was a two-man race to the extent it was a race at all, that that his key competitor was Governor Ron DeSantis of Florida. It, it's now no longer a two-man race. It, it's a two-man and one-woman race. But um, Nikki Haley, who you talked about before, she really has much more momentum right now than Ron DeSantis. She's been gaining in the poll. She's had some strong debate performances. And the donor class, the Republican donor class, which still largely is anti-Trump and desperate for an alternative – is finally kind of putting their chips um, on the Nikki Haley side of uh, of the table. The problem is, uh, it, it's a really a math problem, um, which is that if Ron DeSantis falls out of the race after Iowa, polling indicates that a, a bunch of his voters who support him currently, their second choice is Donald Trump. So Trump, who who is sort of close to 50% in the early states, and has majorities in some of the other states, it will gain support likely when some of these other people drop out. So even if it gets down to a two-person race with Trump and Haley, even if she does conquer Ron DeSantis, you know, in those mm. early states, it's still very hard to see unless something really is hugely off in all of these polls. Uh, it's very hard to see uh, her beating Donald Trump. And is there any sort of shifting understanding of who is Vote, still voting for for Donald Trump, you know, because I've I've also read uh, reports from who, who who are his supporters. Is there any shift there? By the sound of you, you don't think so. No, I mean it's it's the answer is it's it's about half of Republicans, or in some cases most Republicans. Um, they tend to be he does better with people who don't have college degrees. Ron DeSantis and Nikki Haley do better with people who do have college degrees. Um, Donald Trump 
brought a lot of people into the Republican Party that weren't Republicans, that were Democrats several de- generations ago. Um, when you go to his rallies and events, this is not the sort of um, people in sort of prim suits and vests and, and what have you. It is it is clearly um, a working class uh, audience. And Trump um, has done very well with Hispanics, not that they're in the Republican base, but they're mm. coming across to him. Um, it's one of Joe Biden's, you know, red alarms that's blinking is how well Donald Trump is doing with um, Hispanic voters, how well he's doing uh, with black men. Um, so he has a very, he's actually got quite a broad base, um, much broader than Mitt Romney ever had. Um, and 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 it's he's really transformed the party and kind of accelerated some trends that, he, that pre-existed him, uh, such as the, the trend that college-educated voters are increasingly becoming Democrats and people without college degrees are increasingly becoming Republicans. Republicans. Donald Trump. Donald Trump has accelerated that shift. See, Haley seems to be appealing to the group sitting between the MAGA Make America Great Again camp and the Never Trump camp, or at least that's mm-hmm. what Charles Koch seems to think. Uh, what do you think? No, she's really consolidated the Never Trump vote. Um, if you're anti-Trump, you're, you, at this point, you support Haley, or a few of you. Look, there's, there's only about 25% of the Republican electorate who even kind of fit in this anti-Trump camp. Most He's got approval ratings of like 80% among Republicans. So but the, the bottom line is Republicans love Donald Trump um, or, or they like him. Uh, there's probably 30% that will do anything for him, another sort of middle, you know, 50% that like him but were open to other possibilities, less so now, and around 20% that really don't like him won't vote for him under any circumstances. She's done a pretty good job of consolidating that group. And the, and the problem, which is what, what I outlined earlier, is that DeSantis is sort of stuck in the middle. He's got a lot of those voters, to the extent he has much support anymore, um, and it's dwindled, it's voters who like Trump but think maybe it's time to move on. Those voters if, if you ask them who's your second choice, they don't say Nikki Haley, they say Donald Trump. So this is the problem Haley has. It's a math problem. Mm. Uh, there's, it just doesn't appear that there's enough Republicans who want to buy what she's selling. And so even the talk of her being prepared to offer Trump um, a pardon uh, should he be convicted in a lot of these uh, various court cases, which alleged we had heard was could appeal to certain people. Do you, you just don't rate that. I just don't see why. Wouldn't they just go with the person who could pardon himself? I mean, I, I don't see how that wins you votes. Um, in, you know, basically saying, I'll pardon Donald Trump if he gets in. Well, the assumption would be if Donald Trump gets in, he'll pardon himself. Mm. So I, I don't know what, if you're someone who is motivated by that, I don't know why you would switch from Trump to Haley. Um, in fact, that brings me very nicely to the Robert Kagan, who's been a very strong, a never Trump Republican for many years, um, very influential uh, writer. He wrote a piece in the Washington Post this week, a 6,000 word extract from a book that he is about to produce apparently next year um, called Rebellion, How Anti-Liberalism is Tearing America Apart Again. Now, he was trying to terrify, it seemed to me, it was an extraordinary piece Uh, published in the Washington Post, terrify people about the prospect of the dictatorship that he says is on approach if Trump is elected and that it's so, it's just getting down to the wire and that everybody better wake up. How do you characterise writing like that? Well, most of the material that he used in that piece was 
based on our reporting. Like, like we, and he didn't link to a lot of it, but like we have been, I mean, I'm trying to blow my own horn, but me personally, and also some of my colleagues, have led the way in in reporting on Trump's plans for how he will power in 2025, including what he wants to do to the civil service, how he wants to concentrate power in the executive branch and blow through some of these guardrails. Um, look, there's there's there is some uh, some truth to the idea that Donald Trump will have more power if he gets reelected than any president um, in our lifetime, and the reason for that. Is it's not because Donald Trump himself has changed in any meaningful way. It's because the system, the guardrails that have existed are weakened. Um, and you can go through different elements of that, but the judiciary is much more favorable to Donald Trump now. They're largely stocked with people that he himself appointed. The Supreme Court is obviously now of a conservative bent. So that's going to be much more sympathetic to a lot of his policy agenda. And then what we've realized through the Trump era is that a lot of the... Um, uh, guardrails against abuses of power are not actually laws. They're actually norms. They're self-restraint. Mm. And and so when you have someone who is has no has no reason to restrain themselves and is willing to push the system, uh, use every advantage to get what they want, you know the system isn't equipped to deal with that sort of person. And the fact is. Um, and I can't remember how much Kagan dealt with this in his piece, uh, but I don't think he dealt with it very very much, is that since Trump has been out of power, Democrats haven't managed to pass any legislation to patch up any of these vulnerabilities in the system that were exposed by Trump in the first term. They've been blocked by Republicans. And also, frankly, um, there was a complacency after he left office. There was a view that, oh, he's gone now and you know maybe some hypothetical person in the future will come along um, who, who might test the system like that again, but we don't really need to worry about that. So there wasn't the urgency to deal with it. And then sure enough, he's coming back and his support is stronger than ever. So um, there's a whole lot of stuff and you know we've written extensively mm. about this, but it's not fantastical. Um, he, in the first term, issued an executive order, uh, colloquially known as Schedule F, which basically would have given him the power to fire tens of thousands of career professional civil servants and replace them with people he deems more loyal uh, to him and his agenda. So these are legal instruments that exist and they're ready to go. And his team learned a lot in those four years. It's a much more sophisticated infrastructure that he has around him than he, than he had when he came into office in 2017. And you're just not going to have the, these types of people like, you know, his defense secretary, James Mattis, who saw their job as protecting the country from Donald Trump or protecting the world from Donald Trump. He's going to be surrounded by people who are supporters and enablers and lawyers. I mean, we did a whole piece on how they're recruiting a new uh, a new type of lawyer who who is going to be less likely to um, question uh, some of his ideas and more likely to try to find ways of executing them. So the system itself has changed, not Donald Trump. Um, all of this was always visible, um, you know, back for decades, frankly. He, he himself has not changed in any profound way. The only thing that's changed, I guess, is he's more bent on retribution now, but it's the system around him that has changed. 
nevertheless, you, 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 this is not affecting the Republicans. Clearly, all of this is not affecting, by the sound of you, the, Re- the Republican base thoughts about him. Uh, can I just play you, just in opposition, I suppose, to what to what you're saying here? We spoke to a Professor Seth Maskett, who uh, from um, uh, uh, the Midwest, I think it was, who was doing some detailed polling on the internal shifts in the Republican Party, suggesting things were still fluid. Let's take a listen. I've been doing this survey uh, of uh, county chairs in the Republican Party all across the country, uh, trying to get a sense of uh, what they're thinking. They're, they're sort of the, what you might call like the middle elite or the middle management of the party. And Trump still has important leads there, uh, but uh, he's not walking away with it. As you know, he's not very far ahead. There's quite a few who are uh, quite a few of these party chairs who say that they're undecided. They're expecting Donald Trump will be the nominee, but they have not yet come out um, in full support of him. So that, but you think it is firming up? You can't see any real shift, any any surprises by the sound of you. Look, you never rule out surprises in politics. I would never want to say that a surprise can't happen. Um, it's possible he underperforms in Iowa. If there's ever a state to beat Donald Trump, it's Iowa. Like he, there's still a sort of Midwest nice kind of thing there that it's, he's never quite gelled with Iowa. I mean, he lost Iowa to Ted Cruz, and then obviously rumped through New Hampshire and won the won the um, nomination in 2016. So you never want to dismiss. Um, the chances of him getting um, uh, getting beaten, but everything I see, every indicator I see, is the opposite. Its its support is coalescing around him and strengthening and building. And even if he does, you know, underperform in Iowa, he's so strong in New Hampshire, he's so strong in South Carolina, he's so strong in through the South that it's just going to be incredibly hard to beat him. Um, and and one thing that people don't understand from a distance, unless you like go to his events and you see it, is that these other candidates. Donald Trump is the only person in American politics that leads a movement. You go to his events, and people are dressed head to toe, you know, in in Donald Trump merchandise. They have his his image on their socks, and they know the lyrics to what he's saying. It's like a rock concert. He, he is a cultural They're fans icon. as opposed to voters, as I read the other day. That was a very smart piece in New York Magazine. I thought that captured it r- really well. But it, it's exactly what the feeling is at those events. And and it, you just <laughs> – competing against that is so, so difficult if you're a Republican. And that's why you, th- these guys like Haley and, and DeSantis are attacking each other and not Donald Trump because they know that attacking Donald Trump alienates voters and loses them voters. So they're sort of tiptoeing around him. Mm. It's just all the advantages are in his corner. Can I just can I just ask you before we go about this um, news that has just emerged about the expulsion of George Seaton uh, from the George Santos, pardon me, Santos, Santos, Santos. Uh, Santos from uh, the uh, from Congress and his. The New York Times is saying today, I presume it might be you. His expulsion sets the stage for a high stakes special election early next year to fill his Long Island swing seat. Now, does this? How does this matter? I mean. Did we use the word high stakes? I, uh, I don't want to criticise. <laughs> Somebody <though>. did. <laughs> um, okay. Well, it was a very – they're brilliant. Uh, who said I don't know. I'm, I'm not criticising anyone. Um, uh, <laughs> look, Santos is a sui generis figure even in an extremely dysfunctional and messed up Congress. I mean, this is a guy who basically invented a life story for himself. Um, th- the level of lying was just so 
uh, ornate. It it almost you know it, it was sort of you wouldn't have believed it if it was written into a script. Um, so uh, I don't think he necessarily represents anything larger than you know you had a serial fabulist mm-hmm. and apparently a fraud, um, you know, representing his his district. So you know. Yeah, okay. I, d- I don't know that you can draw any larger sort of uh, meaning out of that, or um, uh, you know, um, purpose consequences. Sure. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thank you very much, Jonathan. That wasn't. I was, I was hoping there was going to be a bit more hope there, but there isn't. Clearly, thank you very much for joining us. <laughs> um, congratulations, Geraldine. <laughs> okay, thank you. Bye bye. Jonathan Swan covers politics for the New York Times, and I might add that uh, there's a little fact that might interest you: the UK and US elections next year um, will be the first to have coincided since 1964. So these two great old democracies are going to have elections uh, at extraordinary times in the world in terms of democracy being tested. Find more great ABC RN stories that take you beyond the headlines on the ABC Listen app.